we fly through it, and then people walk away not really knowing, why do I live the way I do? Why do I make these choices? Um, and so we want to take our time and look at what does the Word of God say? What does How does this... Uh, weave into society. And so um, I have a PowerPoint that goes along with tonight. And as I mentioned at the beginning of, well, really throughout this series, this, this series can, can really be broken down into four major sections. And uh, the four major sections, uh, let's see, the first one, you have the basics. And I started there for a reason, because praying and fasting and reading the word, really, if we can't get that down, why go any further? And so we started there. The second is lifestyle issues. You know, what does the Bible say about entertainment and music choices and worship and things on everyday life choices that we might make and our body is a temple? And, and then you go into uh, the church and relationships. Why do I need to be in church? Why do I need a pastor? Why, what, what is the purpose of tithes and offerings? What does the Bible say about those things? And so we went through that. And then the last thing is what people see. And it's important uh, because the Bible talks about it. But I don't want to start with this because if we start from the outside and work our way in, that's really not the way that God seemed to do it. Like I referenced even uh, Brother Foster when he mentioned about the tabernacle, how he gave them these, the, the, he had the, the Ark of the Covenant, and then he began to work his way out from there. And so that's really God, his, his plan is to say, hey, you know what? He's going to fill us with his spirit. And then he begins to work from the inside out. And so uh, we add this to the lesson because it is important. And, um, and then even like last week, it piggybacks off of that because we started with internal holiness. Because if we look the part on the outside, but we lack love, joy, and we hold on to bitterness, something gets crisscrossed where somebody says, well, that person looks like they might serve God, but... They don't act like they do, and so that kind of defeats the purpose and really can be almost kind of work against us. And so um, why would I even cover this? Well, number one, it's God addresses our exterior in his word, and the second reason I address this is because people will often walk into a Pentecostal church, and they will ask me questions, or maybe they've asked you questions, or maybe some of you here tonight have asked these questions, or you're listening online and you've asked these questions. Things like, why do so many ladies here have long hair? Why do men have short hair? Why do so many of ladies wear skirts? And so people will ask questions like this. And as a Pentecostal person, I don't have to be afraid or embarrassed or ashamed of these questions. And Tonight, I want to go into to, to the answers to some of these things. Now, I will say in the proper setting, in a teaching and training environment like tonight, I think that I owe it to those people to show them, hey, this is why many people choose to live this way, scripturally, biblically. I will say this, whether you're here in person or listening online, nobody is forcing you to conform. This is not a cult. Nobody says, hey, if you're going to come worship here, you're going to look this way, talk this way, act this way. Nobody says that. I'm simply saying, hey, scripturally, you're going to see things that you look at this and say, hey, based on this passage of scripture, I feel like this is something that God would desire for me or from me. And so, uh, no matter what you wear, how your hair looks, no matter how bad your breath smells, you're welcome to worship here, all right? 
But if it's in the word of God, know this. It is our privilege and distinct opportunity to be pleasing to our Lord and Savior. If anybody has taught this lesson anything to do with exteriors in any way that is different than what a privilege it is to be distinct from my Lord and Savior, it's my belief and opinion they've taught it the wrong way. And so um, this is not something, ultimately, though, this is a personal conviction. This is between you and God. And if you say, well, fine, I'm just going to do this because they seem like they want me to do it around here, that's not really going to be effective. It is something you say, hey, you know what, God? I love you. I want to please you. I want to serve you. I see this scripturally, and you know what? I, don't, I, I want you to love you with every facet of my being, inside and outside. And so, um, so again, just because of the content, there's so much information I want to get through. I'm going to move along quickly here because I don't want to keep you here all night, even though I know many of you probably want to stay for several hours. I, I, don't, I don't want to, to, to do that to you. Um, so tonight, we're going to look at this. Does God care about the way I dress? I mean, it's a simple question, and so that's a great question that we're going to look at. Does God care about the way I dress? Will you pray with me, pray for me, pray for yourself? We want, we want God's will to be done. And there's certain things that if we can see things in the Scripture, I believe that God does want to challenge some of us tonight. I truly believe that. So Jesus, we love you. We, we thank you for your wonderful grace, your mercy, for, for Lord Jesus, for little children that Lord God helped to lead in worship and are passionate and energetic to be not only in the house of God, but to worship you, Lord Jesus. Let them never lose that energy and that passion, Lord Jesus. And Father, I pray, speak through me tonight that let every heart and mind be open to receive things from your word. Let us walk in without preconceived notions. Lord Jesus, not having already determined what our beliefs are, but to, you know what, to say, God, I'm going to be open. Just teach me, show me, show me whatever it is you want us to see in your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, Amen. So we're going to go to Romans chapter 12, starting at verse 1. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, Paul writing to the church in Rome, saying, I'm begging you, I'm beseeching you, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Present my body. Now, if you need a handout, by the way, raise your hand and one of our, our usher will get you a handout. Or if you need a pen, because you'll probably want to write. These handouts are not all-encompassing. So if you need a pen or a handout, raise your hand. They'll get you hooked up. But present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. God will never ask you to do anything that is unreasonable. Remember that. Be not conformed to this world. See, so much about what God asks us to do is countercultural. It's, it, it's not with culture. It kind of goes against the way of culture thinks in, at, at times. Be not conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Everyone with me, say prove. Prove. We can use our bodies to prove to the world the good and acceptable will of God in our lives. But God looks at the heart. Absolutely. But how can we prove to the world a world that's not capable of looking at the heart? The first thing they see is the exterior. And so 
not only by the way we live our lives, but we prove it by the way we present our bodies to God before the world. After all, the outer appearance is usually a pretty good indicator of what's in one's heart. What is on the outside comes from what is on the inside. Jesus said, hey, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. As we discussed last week, if we're not right in the inside, you know what? You will not be able to show it very long on the outside because living a committed life on the outside is challenging. There's challenges. Uh, the things we're teaching, it's not always easy, especially in the culture we live. God, though, we have to understand, he's always used visual examples to show his power in a place. Pillar of fire over the tabernacle. Speaking in tongues is the evidence that God's spirit is indwelling in us. Also take a look at this verse. When God's people had come out of slavery, we talked about this a little on Sunday, had come out of slavery in Egypt, God was speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, and here's what he says. He says, Moses says to the Lord, hey, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for thou chargest us, saying, set bounds around the mountain, and sanctify it. So setting the bounds around the mountain was hand in hand with sanctifying the mountain. Do we see that? All right. God had Moses set up physical, visible boundaries. Why? The verse tells us it was for sanctification purposes. Set the visible boundaries for sanctification purposes. What does sanctification mean? It means to make holy, to set apart as sacred, uh, consecrate, to purify or free from sin. So saying, hey, this is a visible boundary that shows someone that I'm consecrated to God. When God calls you to make a certain boundary in your life, this is so important that you hear this statement. When he calls you to make a certain boundary in your life, it is not so many people will try to accuse you or us of this, and it is not to be legalistic, a law, or a rule. God intends for the visible, physical boundary to be for sanctification, consecration, to be set apart or sacred unto him. He intends for the way that we dress and adorn ourselves to honor him and to prove this to the world. Why? 1 Peter 2.9 says, you, Peter writing, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. You think about... You, how can you tell when somebody's royalty in other countries? Well, very much by the way that they dress. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. You should show forth. Remember, we just talked about proving. Now it says you should show forth. But God looks at the heart. Yes, but humankind doesn't. So how do we show forth something to someone? Well, it's going to be by what they look at. And so, again, how do we show forth praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light? God has always insisted that his people be separated from the world. That's just an Old Testament thing. No, it's not. Study the word. Uh, God visibly, yes, in the Old Testament, the Israelites from the rest of the nations, he separated them by their food, their dress, their farming practices, their worship ceremonies, their Sabbaths. A person could tell if someone was a real Jew simply by looking at that person and observing that person's actions. Remember, a person's appearance and dress tells so much about their lifestyle. Even look at, look at here in the 20th century. When, you, when I say, hey, what do you think of a hippie? 
Right now, we could begin to paint a picture in our mind of what we think a hippie looks. Just one word, hippie. What, becomes to, what comes to your mind? Tie-dyed shirts, headbands and long hair, right? Right? So what was it? It was saying, hey, there was an outward manifestation of inward feelings. I'm going to express myself. That's why even these T-shirts and stuff, people will wear T-shirts with sayings that express themselves. There are a number of scriptures that specifically teach that Christians how to dress and to adorn themselves. And again, well, now you're going over the rules of the church. No, it is saying scripturally, God, I want to align with your plan. And if there's a certain way you want me to live my life, my goodness, I want to know about it. It's like me saying, okay, there are certain clothes that I had that when I married my wife, she just was like, hey, that's terrible. That's horrible. That's hideous. Now, I could stand there and be like, I don't care what you think. I'm going to wear it anyway. But ultimately, if she's my bride and we're married and, and she's my spouse, I want I, I want. I want to please her. I want her to look at me and say, man, you look good. I think, I mean, that's all right, right? You want your spouse to think. If not, we got to do another seminar on a different topic, okay? But I don't sit and argue with her about, well, it's my right. I can wear whatever I want. I'm a grown man. No, if she hates something, I'm going to say, babe, I love you. I'm going to get this. This shirt ain't worth keeping, Right? Some of you are feeling conviction right now, but some, <laughs> some wives are leaning over. See those jeans with the holes in it? I told you, you got to throw those away. That might be the only thing you get out of tonight. I don't know. But the Bible does say it, it, it addresses things, and it's important that we understand these principles. Styles of dress and customs have changed drastically since Bible times, and we have to apply the teachings, kind of like the Bible doesn't say, Thou shalt uh, be careful on the internet. Thou shalt not smoke marijuana. It doesn't say these things, but the principles are clear. Well, just like modesty and apparel, that we, it's not gonna, it doesn't, the Bible does not just begin to lay out, you know, whether to shop at Aeropostale or Banana Republic or, you know what I mean? But, there's, but there are principles that we can address tonight. And there appears to be even specific guidelines. It, it, and sometimes people will say, well, that's all for women. Well, we're going to go into this a little bit. Because God is so wise. When he addresses women about shamefacedness and sobriety, the very next verse talks about men lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. That's because now, typically, you can't say it across the board, but typically, females are the ones that will often tend to deal with more of the external battles. Men, typically what? That's where, why does, why does God not address women on anger issues? Do women not get angry? Oh, of course they do. But men tend to be the ones that have the anger issues. Why does God not address men on vanity and in, in some of the way that we dress? Do men not ever get too into themselves in the way they dress? Well, of course they can. But typically you're going to find that that's more of a woman's battle. And so, scripturally, God, he doesn't try to attack one person or another. He tries to deal with somebody on where they have the most issues. And, and he's just an omnipotent, wise Savior in doing that. And so, the Bible says that when we're filled with the Holy Ghost, our bodies are the place that God now dwells. Amen? 
Because of this, we can use our bodies to glorify him, to bring him honor. 1 Corinthians uh, 6, 19 and 20 says, what? Paul writes to the Corinthian church, know ye not your body's the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, uh, which ye have of God, and you are not your own. That enough, I mean, like, imagine preaching this message in, in, across our country. Hey, you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. That we don't, I mean, Americans would not like this passage. Oh, you better believe I'm, I'm going to show you who's boss around here. Scripture, Paul says, hey, just, just newsflash to the church. He's like, hey, we've been bought with a price. We're not even our set. We don't even know. Our, I mean, we're, we should, he says, because of that, because we're not our own, therefore, because of this, we should glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are both God's. In my spirit, the stuff you can't see. God, Lord, I've been dealing with bitterness and pride. Deal with my spirit, God. Because I want to glorify you with everything that's in me. But Lord, glorify me, or glory, you, you glorify yourself in my, in, my, in my body too. Spirit and body. Things people can't see and things people can see. Okay, and so we looked at the scripture, it just kind of like guard your temple. When you go all the way back to that lesson, we were discussing the importance of protecting our bodies from things like drugs and alcohol and smoking. We can glorify God by not only protecting what goes into our body, but we can also glorify him by what we show the world on the outside of our body. Whenever you start talking about external portions, like I say, um, you, you, you get it, and we're going to get into this. Let's, let's go to Deuteronomy. We really want to look at two major verses that state guidelines for apparel. And again, I say a lot of times women say, oh, man, but it's more really geared at us. Yeah, some of this is. And if you ever wonder, here's the politically incorrect thing to say, but it's true. Men and women are different. Amen? How many of you know men and women are different? Okay, if you don't, there's a different lesson. Um, but I know that's, that's we, we want to look at two major versions that state guidelines for apparel. One is Deuteronomy 22.5, and that says, The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth to a man, neither shall a man Put on a woman's garment, for all that do so are abomination unto the Lord. Now, I'm going to say this several times throughout the lesson. This verse, how many have heard this preached just 22 different ways, all right? This verse is not referring to Levi's jeans. It's referring to gender distinction. There needs to be a distinction between a man and a woman. Do we see that? So this verse makes it very clear that, hey, I don't want men looking like women, and I don't want women looking like a man. I created them different. And the minute, it's, it's been such a slippery slope, which I got to be careful because I got to stay so focused on what I'm teaching. But even today, 
I'll show you a little bit of history where things started to change around world wars and things started to shift. And when you start to shift one thing and then it can shift into another thing and it can shift into another thing. And before you know it, we're actually arguing with one another as to whether we're putting undue pressure on our children by not letting them choose their gender. And you can use whatever bathroom you want to for whatever gender you associate with. It just it gets to the point where there's confusion, and that's why God says, listen, there shouldn't be confusion. I've brought clarity to my word. And where I bring clarity, it starts with this. There should be dis- clear distinction in gender. I created you a man, you're a man. I created you a woman, you're a woman. And the next thing, First Timothy 2.9, Paul writes and he to Timothy, and he says, in like manner... Also, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. So, we can look essentially at this. Three distinct guidelines for, and this, this part's women's dress. There's going to be things that I talk about men's dress also throughout the lesson. But as I said, the exterior, some of these things, women tend to deal with this a little more than men do. Um, and so, three Three verse, three distinct guidelines based on the, these two verses. Number one, it should not pertain to a man. We saw that. Number two, it should be modest. And number three, dress with shamefacedness and sobriety. So we have to look at what these things mean. And it's ex- extremely important, again, that it, everyone must understand. These are not, I, I try to address all of the things that people have um, attacked or argued about the these the, what we're covering tonight is completely based on scripture i do not have the united pentecostal church international manual up here this has nothing to do with the traditions i was raised with or what my pastor taught or with the organization that i'm a part of because we all know that all although we're grateful for all of those things the only thing we can go on is what is thus saith the lord So, these are not just guidelines from an organization. These are guidelines that come from God's word. And no matter how you are dressed here tonight, no matter what you are wearing, you are loved and you are, I got to make this clear, you are always welcome and that this is your church. So, I'm teaching guidelines, but in no way am I trying to chastise or rebuke or make you feel uncomfortable. Guideline one, it should not pertain to a man. Why would, as a pastor, if you've been around Pentecost, let's say you hear, okay, oh my goodness, I've heard women shouldn't wear pants. Why, as uh, as a pastor, would I ever think it would be a a, a good idea to say, oh, a woman shouldn't wear pants? What, What could I possibly gain out of this? I do not have stock in dressmaking companies. So if I was gonna say something like this, What would be the benefit of it? Well, let's take a look. There are a couple of reasons why I'm going to tell you that as a woman, it's not a good idea for you to wear pants. Here's why. Don't walk out on me. First, they violate the first rule of wearing something that pertains to a man. I know that many women disagree with this, but pants are man's apparel. And you stick with me and keep an open heart, and you'll see why. You obviously can believe whatever you want to believe, but in the Bible days, 
Women did not wear crotched garments. Pants have a crotch. Men in the Bible days wore crotched garments. That's why people will say, well, men and women both wore robes. There was no distinction of gender back then. Pants are called breeches in the Bible. And breeches were worn exclusively by men for the first 5,950 years of human existence, up till about 90 years ago. People will often say, well, they both wore robes. Well, educate yourself on this because even the garments worn by men in the Bible and women in the Bible were different. The woman, they wore a long flowing robe. Men wore shorter, tighter robes. Underneath a woman's robe, there would be nothing. Underneath a man's robe, there would be a loincloth that went from their loins down to their knees. And what does the Bible say when they would go out to work or when they would go running? They would gird up their loins, meaning uh, hike up that outer robe and tie the loins so that they could do physical labor, they could run. And underneath that outer robe was a loincloth. Women did not have that. There was a distinction in gender. When, uh, and so when I studied the customs and dress of Bible times, this is what I found. Men's tunics were normally short and colored. Women's tunics were ankle length and blue with embroidered edges. Now, before, now don't get nervous. Nobody's going to tell you to wear ankle length stuff. Just don't. I'm afraid I'm going to get people giving up and losing. If you're listening online, don't stop listening. Just stay with me. The Jews actually gave a list of clothes that might be rescued from a burning house on a Sabbath. Because if you remember, no work, no physical activity could be done on a Sabbath day. This is interesting because the list is divided into two sections. It's divided into the male section and the female section. If there was no distinction of gender in clothing, why did there have to be two separate lists? Okay, show this. The long garment, Hebrew, haluk, short garment, nikli, breeches, abrishan. There's different words for the different forms of apparel. For a woman, long undergarment of linen, short undergarment. See the Hebrew words there? They're totally different. Because there was not a long undergarment of linen for the men. The short, uh, the short undergarment, which would be, you know, undergarments. And so there, look at male and female words. Totally different words. They were not the same thing. There was gender distinction in clothing. So the list is longer than these few things, but I, I, what I find is interesting is the word used for a man's long garment is, the wor- is different than the word used for a woman's long garment. But they all wore robes. There's different words for the two long garments of the genders. There was distinction. Then we have a woman, a word for a man's, Short garment, but there's no word for a woman's short, short garment here, only a word for a short undergarment. Lastly, what I find interesting is on the list is that breeches are listed for men but not for women. Again, scripturally, I'm showing you these things. Breeches are discussed five times in the Old Testament, and never once are they mentioned for a woman. God's plan never intended for women to wear any type of breeches at any point. That was not his plan. Because he wanted gender distinction. It's pretty interesting that a woman is often appalled at the thought of a man wearing a dress. Ladies, I mean, would you be cool with that? If Sunday I showed up and I was like, you know what? I shopped at Banana Republic. They had a sale. 
I'm going cutting edge. I promise you Noah would never be back. Noah's like, dude, I work on cars. I'm a mechanic. I got a Corvette. No, I'm not trying to listen to no dude in a dress. I mean, if I was like, well, hey, we're not under the law anymore. I'm just trying something new. You'd be appalled. You would be appalled. Why? Because culture, we let culture define things. Because culture has says it's okay for women to wear this, but not okay for men to wear this. Because that's what culture says. But yet, check out the following story. There was a fashion designer a few years, several years ago who decided he was going to come out with a line of dresses for men. The idea was not popular, still isn't. He gets himself an appearance on a Phil Donahue show. Anybody remember him? Phil brought out all these male models wearing dresses designed just for men. They were, they were, they were specifically made for men. And they paraded them around the stage on the show, and all the women were just, oh, they were, this was vulgar. And Phil went into the audience with a microphone, and many of the women made statements. They, this is preposterous that men would wear dresses. Don't these men know any better? Don't they have any self-respect? Don't they have any con- concept of manhood? They're going to parade around in a dress. And Phil Donahue, he said, <laughs> to my knowledge, he's not spirit-filled. Um, he said something very interesting. He said, Well, they said the same thing 50 years ago when women started wearing pants. Because we let culture define what is acceptable. But that's not what God called for. So what do we go? We go back to what what does the Bible say? Remember, thou shalt not wear that which pertaineth to a man. And again, this scripture, it is still applicable Yes, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not making the argument that it's talking about Levi's or Lee Riders or something, you know? I'm saying that, are those still popular? I don't, I don't know. I'm my fashion sense, I'm not up on it, I don't know. Some of you, when you see me in jeans, you're like, I didn't know you were jeans. People sometimes think I sleep in suits. But the scripture, back then, it's still applicable today. Some people want to say, that was just for them back then. That doesn't even pertain to today. Show me a scripture. Confusion comes in part because Deuteronomy chapter 22 is applicable to us us literally, and part only applies in really what we might say typology, meaning it represents something for us today. For instance, we're not literally... Obeying verses 9, 10, and 11 of Deuteronomy 22. These verses prohibit mixing seed when sowing, plowing an ox and a donkey together, wearing wool and linen together in one garment. So who, how many, di- I mean, when you, when you work the fields, do you let your donkey and ox work together? I mean, we don't really stress. Anybody here wearing mixed threads? I mean, does your shirt have mixtures? of? Because if it does, according to the law, you were sinning. Well, we don't follow that. So then people just say, well, automatically, hey, it's all lumped together. We don't follow that one either. But the difference is in the two types of law, really, uh, there's like a, a moral, ceremonial law. And, and it can be clearly shown what differentiates this verse is the word abomination. 
something that God detests, something that God hates. Okay, the ceremonies of worship and ways to live life may have changed, but when it comes to morals, when it comes to God saying, that is something that is an abomination, that puts it in a different category. That never changes. I mean, even in Malachi, God says, I'm the Lord, I change not. And so specifically, that, that, that is where the change takes place. And God has changed his mind about whether to execute judgment or not. And, but his basic character, things that he loathes or detests, that doesn't change. So the scripture in Deuteronomy is written so it covers all cultures. That which pertains to a man means any clothing traditionally associated with men in that culture or patterned after men's apparel in that culture. And that, I am willing to admit, here's the next argument, that may vary with culture. Y'all would probably get up on Sunday if I came in a skirt. But if I preached in parts of Scotland... And wore a kilt, that same garment that was inappropriate to wear here, maybe culturally appropriate there. Even pants that are now designed for women are still so closely patterned after men's clothing that they, 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 they fit under the definition of that which pertaineth to a man. Because, well, you just said about Scotland, but I'm not living in Scotland. So I'm talking about what is pertains to a man right here in my culture, 2016, in the United States of America. And so pertain, what does that mean? Let's take a look. It means to belong as a part, attribute, feature, or function, to have reference, to relate. All styles of pants and pantsuits clearly have reference to, relate to, and have basic features and functions of male Dress. Historically, it was wrong, it was considered wrong for women to wear pants. In fact, how many of you know this? The practice of women wearing pants did not gain widespread acceptance until World War II, 1940s. And even then, it was not widespread. How many of you have ever gone to the World War I Museum in downtown Kansas City? Raise your hand. We got to get cultured, folks. Go visit World War. I thought this was an amazing historic landmark. I mean, like, it is a great building. It's the International Museum, not just, like, the local museum. It is amazing, and I thought it was like this big deal, and I went to it and was just like, wow. And I started asking around and found out how many people, and I'm like, you lived in Kansas City all your life and have never been to the World War I Museum? We're going to have to do a church outing. <laughs> but here's what I noticed. We went to it. Yes. The pastoral team of Refuge Church. And we walked, and he can vouch for this. We stopped, and I took pictures of it because it said female apparel during World War II. And there was, what, about probably six different outfits or something. And every single one of them was a skirt. At right here, downtown Kansas City. Every single one of them was a skirt. At the same time, women 
began to take. See, look at some of these clippings from the World War II era. At the, same, at the time that women began taking men's place in the factory, they went off to war. A lot of women's attitude changed. Around that time, it started becoming acceptable for women to cut their hair, smoke cigarettes, drink alcoholic beverages. But even then, many women still maintained their distinction between the sexes. I did not get this picture from the UPC manual. Okay? This is historical. So historically and culturally, pants have been recognized as man's apparel. It was only when... Uh, society was disrupted and women usurped men's role that women began wearing pants. Why do you think to this day, in 2016, there is a statement that can be made sometimes with men when they're joking with their buddies in the locker room or on the golf course or men sometimes talk big when their wives aren't around and they'll tease someone and say, who wears the pants in your relationship? Essentially, what are you saying? That statement in itself is chuck full of meaning. A couple years ago, it, see, pants insinuate a headship and authority that God designated for man. A couple years ago, sportscaster Jim Nance still calls games today. He did a commercial where he made fun of this guy who let his wife take him shopping for clothes and skipped a March Madness college basketball tournament. And Jim Nance shows up, and he turns on the TV where they're shopping, and Jim Nance, in that commercial, says to to the man, take off your skirt and put the pants back on. What is he saying? This is... Biblical, cultural, historical, folks. Even the universal sign for a men's and women's bathroom is distinct because it shows the little stick girl. Oh, but there's more. Look at that. More pictures. But what does it show? It shows a little stick girl with a skirt on. Now, culture's shifting away from this. 20 years, we might show this picture, and our kids are going to say, I've never seen that picture. This picture might be like a Walkman. And some of you are like, what's wrong with the Walkman? I still jam to my tape. (laughs) Bro, that was before my time. (laughs) I'm only 36. Eight track, I heard about it, but know nothing about it. So... And I hope I don't offend anybody by saying this, but I want want this, this principles for life. I try to be very real here. So... I say this just to kind of use an example. I don't want to be rude. I don't want to be uh, uh, offensive. But have you ever observed girls or women who wear pants almost exclusively? There's a definite change in their mannerisms and a decrease in their feminine behavior. They are apt to position themselves in unfeminine ways, such as propping their legs up. A woman tends to act and look more feminine in a dress. It's because biblically and historically, pants have been men's apparel. Guideline two, it says it should be modest, okay? The second reason women are to stay away from pants is because they don't fit this second guideline. And, And again, you might disagree, but pants are not modest for women. And for the first time in my lifetime, wow. 
They're also now making pants for men that are not modest. I'll get on that in one second. First, Peter, First Timothy 2.9, what does he say? We read this in like manner. It says, women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness, sobriety, not with broided hair, gold, pearls, costly array. The Bible says a woman should adorn herself in modest apparel. The Greek, the language this was originally written in. The Greek, the word modest is katastol. And what does that mean? It means a long flowing garment. Remember, the Bible says that, in, uh, that men wore a short, tight skirt, so to speak, and woman, women wore a long, flowing garment called a katastol. In, in the, the Bible, in 1 Timothy 2.9, uh, it tells women to adorn themselves in a long, flowing garment, not a short, tight garment. That is what modest is. It's long and flowing. Pants don't flow. Shorts are not long and flowing. Even if pants are long, they don't qualify as long and flowing. And since they are not a flowing garment, they're not cut to stole. And this is what, I'll pause right here. This is where some people are ready for this and some people are not. And the, the good news is, is there's grace for the race. Whatever, I mean, like I say, this is just showing you biblical things. It's, there's depth here. Just guard yourself against saying, well, I don't see this. Well, I don't see that. Well, that's just stupid. I'm not going to. Just don't let yourself get the attitude that you fight against every point either. At least say this, God, if this is what you want from me, just, just open my heart and mind. Just, just say that. And if at the end of the day you say, you know what, it's just not for me yet. Hey, that's between you and God. That's fine. But just don't allow yourself to reason and justify a way that you won't even examine the information that's being taught. Because I've seen that sometimes too. And, and that can be a dangerous place because we never want to get to the place where we're unteachable or we're not open to God showing us new things. Amen? So the necessity for modesty and dress goes back to the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden. Originally, they were created in a state of innocence and were clothed with the Shekinah glory of God. How many of you remember that? We don't need to go back to Genesis and read that, right? So when they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they lost God's glory, and what happened? They realized, you don't have clothes on. We're naked. They realized that. And so... What happens? Genesis 3, 7. The eyes of both of them were open. They knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves apron. Obviously, there was some form of shame that came from feeling naked. We see that, right? So we need to try and fix the problem, and let's sew fig leaves together. Well, the Hebrew word for aprons used here was simply mean, meant to gird oneself or put on a belt over the midsection. So basically, Adam and Eve covered their private parts with a fig leaf. We're not naked no more. Well, we laugh at that. But some people today wear less than that on American beaches. What did God do? God did not go and say, hey, man, nice speedo. Where'd you pick it up? He said, no, 
No, that is not good enough. You need to cover more than just that area. You need to cover your nakedness. Well, now we got a definition problem. God has always demanded modesty, and he did not accept covering one's private parts as satisfying his requirement for modesty. So Eve's bikini and Adam's speedo was not modest. And if they were not modest then, they're still not modest now. So because of their nakedness, God then has to, he chooses to clothe them in animal skins. Genesis 3.21, unto Adam and also to his wife, did the Lord God make, read it with me, did the Lord God make, oh my goodness, people say, God does not care about the way that we dress. Oh, I got issue with that because the Bible that I read, the Lord made two things with his own hands. One was humankind from the dust of the ground and two was clothes for humankind. Don't tell me God does not care. Matter of fact, let's take that a step further. There was no death in the world at this time. And God was so passionate about apparel that he brought death into the world to make clothes. He killed an animal. Something, life was ended for the first time in the history of the world for a purpose to make clothes to cover nakedness so God don't care about the way I dress you are missing a creation principle from the beginning of time God has cared about the way we dress and so uh, he says you know what I'm gonna make clothes and notice that the devil he doesn't he always try to do the opposite of what God does God demands modesty so what does the devil try to do God says, put it on. Devil says, take it off. That's why one of the things that the demon-possessed man of Gadara, they said, he's demon-possessed. He throws himself into the fire, and what else does he do? Takes his clothes off. He kept trying to take, demon-possessed guy keeps trying to take his clothes off. You read on, Jesus, what happens? Jesus heals him, does he not? Commands the demons to leave. What happens the next time they see the demon-possessed man of Kadera? The Bible says he was clothed and in his right mind. Full clothing is of God. The whole taking clothes off, that's not of God. Here are some things to consider with respect to modesty of dress. Sleeves, necklines, dress lengths, tight clothes, thin clothes. These are things to all consider. Third thing, they should be with shamefacedness is number three. What in the world does that even mean? I mean, if I said, ladies, how many of you have shamefacedness tonight? I would love to see some responses like, think good old king james english shamefacedness is reverence self-restraint modesty bashfulness 
See, bashfulness to us is a negative thing. But what it's referring to here is saying, hey, it's not just accentuating saying, look at me, everyone. It's the opposite of vanity. God hates pride, so he doesn't approve of any pretentious or ostentatious display, which I'll pause and digress for just 20 seconds here. I've known people who are really passionate against like, about like, like jeans and cutting your hair for lady or wearing makeup or jewelry or whatever, but then they buy like $600 diaper bags. Kind of defeats the purpose of the bashfulness and and balance that God's talking about. But that's just, a, that's just a side note. So pants do draw attention to a woman's figure. If you wear a pair of pants or even a tight skirt or a low neckline, it shows the figure and it's not shamefaced and modest. It always amazes me, though, that women will say, yeah, but what if I wear a loose-fitting jeans that aren't tight? Well, th- those are some of the people, too, that when I see them out and about, they're wearing the tightest things they could possibly imagine. At this point now, though, style's changing. This is where I'll jump in this for one second. Guys, dudes, come on. Don't wear tight pants. I got two amens. If you, some of you maybe already bought some. Come on now. Talk about changing culture. I only graduated in 1999. But like we used to, not me, but other friends used to make fun of people that like, if a guy were, they'd be like, tight pants. Like, they would make fun of guys that would come with tight pants. Now, I, like, see tight pants on the platform of churches sometimes. And you know what? Sometimes I just sit there and I go, whoa, 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 whoa. We're really passionate about this against women, but we let that on the platform? So, can't believe we just, my skinny jeans, just make sure they ain't too skinny, Okay. Men need to pay attention to form-fitting clothes, too. I can't believe I'm saying this. For women, the reason I suggest against pants, short shorts, mini skirts, is they're not modest. They're not codistole. They're not long and flowing. In addition, uh, the mini skirts are not appropriate. Why? Because check this out. A lot is in the definition. Look at Isaiah, okay? Oh, and sobriety. I forgot to give you that. Um, Isaiah, take the millstones, grind the meal, uncover thy locks, make bare the leg, uncover the thigh, pass over the rivers. He's talking to God's people there, and he says, thy nakedness shall be uncovered. Based on that scripture, what is he saying? He's defining nakedness. This is one of the scriptures where we actually find a definition, because what's he saying? He's saying, thy nakedness will be uncovered. When? Why? What are we talking about? The previous verse, when you make bare the leg and uncover the thigh. So there's a scripture principle here that he's talking about. He's putting nakedness in the same boat as when you uncover the thigh. This is where we talk to men and women alike. Now for me, I just don't wear shorts just because, you know what? Hey, some people have a problem with it. I'm going to stay away from it. I'm just going to set a high standard. I'm just not going to do it. Whatever. But... If I choose to wear shorts as a man, scripturally, I want to not, I want to at least make sure my nakedness is covered. 
which biblically is defined as just like the loincloth that was underneath the robe went from the loins down to the knee. So at all times, unless you're in the privacy of your own home, my thighs should be completely covered as a guy. This is not just for women. And women, it's the same exact thing. I remember I went to a Christian private school that used to be strict. And if you were ever unsure, they had the, they had the girls, you would kneel down. And you had to make sure that when you're kneeling, the skirt should touch the ground. So if you're ever like, well, I just don't know. That's a it's, it's, it, They might have started in 1920, but it's still a good test. My goodness, Pastor, you need to get with the times. Man, I don't know if I want to. So... If it's long and flowing, there's a definition that talks about making sure, hey, and well, the same, like I say, same measurings. How about to Exodus? To cover their nakedness from the, and thou shalt make them linen breeches, to cover their nakedness from the loins even to the thigh they shall reach. Loins to thigh should be covered. Meaning what? That in no time should someone see my thigh, male or female. If you're looking for a definition of modesty, well, some of us, well, see, it looks good. And then we sit down and it goes, whoa, where'd that come from? <laughs> and then, you know what? These are the same people. They're so uncomfortable. They, like, I'm uncomfortable sitting next to them because they're going. I want to just say, you know what, if you want, we could just go buy you a new skirt so you don't have to be so uncomfortable. And I, I, I'm, I'm making little jokes, but hey, this is, this is scriptural definitions here. And so whether it's man or woman, hey, our nakedness is defined as our loins or hips, midsection down to our thighs at the end of our knees. So if we're going to expose this area by biblical definition... We're exposing nakedness. So, based on the clear definition, it seems obvious to me, and I'm going to bring this all to a close. It seems obvious to me that certain types of clothing are definitely not modest. And again, we could have taught this way quicker than this. But I want you to see, historically, culturally, biblically, and you see the way the shift takes place? Look where we are now. Think about World War II. Oh, my goodness, woman just started going to the factories and just started wearing pants for the first time in history. Well, it starts there, and it's kind of this slippery slope because you look where we are now. Right now, there, I, I, I hate to say it, but this, but this is true. The, the devil waged war on gender distinction with something we might say, ah, oh, it's just not that, but let's not blow it out of proportion. But what has happened is now in 2016, we don't even think about that. Now we've moved on to greater arguments about whether or not I can just change my gender altogether. And people are actually given awards for having the courage to do such a thing. And you go, and, and we say, well, how in the world do we get so mixed up as a society? It's been a slow fade. And that's why it's so important as believers, we're saying, you know what? Culture is not going to dictate 
the life I lead, the way I dress. But culture's powerful because sitcoms show you what style is and billboards show you what style is. And, man, I've gotten in arguments with my wife. We've gone shopping, and there's a mannequin there. And I'm like, that looks nice. I about get smacked. Honey, you know I can't wear that. I'm like, you know how low that'd be? You know how tight that'd be? You know how short that'd be? I'm like, I don't know. I just looked at it on the mannequin. It looked nice, you know. I, I don't know. But she says, I can't wear that. And so I'll say this, gentlemen, you play a major role in this. Because it's hard enough for your ladies to sometimes say, I'm going to live a holy, separated life unto God. And I want to worship God not just with my inside, but with my outside. And I want to live a life, I want to be modest and holy and sanctified. And then we're sitting there saying, Oh, man, look at that actress. She's so gorgeous. And look at that picture. Look at that magazine. Or I'm going to jump online and look at something that I don't belong looking at. You're giving your wife the message that what she is is not beautiful. So you play a role in your wife's holiness and walk with God. Because she needs to feel from you, hey, babe, you are the most beautiful thing on the face of this earth. You don't need to try and show off your body to get beauty. You are gorgeous the way you are. And I love the fact that you are set apart and sanctified and consecrated unto our Lord and Savior. And that's the way it's got to be. So, man, we don't just say, oh, that's on them. No, we play a role in this. It's God's plan that we're completely covered. See, based on this, these definitions, it seems obvious to me that certain types of clothing definitely are not modest. They're definitely not clothes that fit the definition of shamefacedness. They draw attention to oneself. And what is the piece of clothing that we can put on that's the next closest thing to being naked? Well, it's, it's lingerie or a bathing suit. It amazes me that somehow I've talked to women before that think the bikini's modest. I'm like, God's plan, our thighs are completely covered. So does God, as we close, expect you to just be ugly? Wear skirts and dresses that go all the way to the floor all the time? No. No. You can choose to dress like that if you desire. Floor-length dresses are long. They flow. They're modest. God will bless you. Fine. But the word used for modest is katastol. It's long and flowing. The Greek word for floor-length is poderis. Different word. Katastol, poderis. Long and flowing, floor-length. He never requires you to wear a floor-length dress. If you want to, just don't think that you're holier than anybody else because you're not. Just because you wear your dress doesn't make you any more spiritual than anybody else down to the floor. But just like this, just because you wear skirts and other women wear pants, it doesn't make you better than she is either. Don't ever walk around and be like, well, I, I wear this, you wear that. No, it's, people are on a journey. There's some people that, you know what, they don't see it. You're not, they're not ready for it, you know, and it's something, they're, not a, they're not feeling that consecration, that conviction from God. Then you know what, we love them. Say, hey, come worship with us. We feel it. This is the way we're going to live our lives. You choose to live, live, live differently. This is, still, this is still the place we gather corporately for worship. Amen? And so all these things, they just point to, hey, your consecration to God, your desire to continue in the process of holiness, willingness to submit yourself to his plan, and allowing your body and your dress to prove to the world the acceptable and perfect will of God. All that God has asked for is long and flowing, 
keep clear distinction between the sexes, the genders, and that your nakedness is covered, which we learned are your thigh to your knees, or your, your loins to your knees. Modesty and shamefacedness does not translate into ugly. If that's the way you think, when people ask you what church you go to, please tell them a different church, okay? Just because you're Pentecostal does not mean you have to be frumpy. Man, that long glory and beautiful clothing, let people look and say, man, that's a person who radiates Jesus Christ. We want to send a message to the world that we know how to be pretty and take care of ourselves. We don't have to wear skin-tight jeans and skirts and halter tops and flaunt things to get attention. God doesn't lay out guidelines in his word just to come up with some unnecessary sort of rules. He sets boundaries and guidelines for a few reasons. He loves you. He wants to protect you from unwanted desires from people that may be looking at you. And he wants you to be a person that people can readily identify as being one of his children. Has anyone been in a public place and said, hey, are you Pentecostal? God help us to never lose that. I can't explain everything. I've done it to the best of my ability, and I'm done. This is probably the longest lesson we have in the series, and I'm sorry for that. But I, there's power and anointing that comes from God when a people are in love, not only with him, but with holiness that radiates from the inside to the outside. There are a lot of people that are letting go of that saying it's not a big deal because culture has shifted. We're not one of those churches, and because of that, I really believe that God's favor and anointing is upon us. God told the Israelites to dress that certain way, and do you understand the difference in the attention we get? When we dress in tight, revealing clothes, the attention is drawn to us or our bodies. When we dress with shamefacedness, modesty, and distinctly different in gender, the attention points to God and our separation unto him. And that peculiar people doesn't mean odd or different. And so if you say, well, I just don't know what's the deal here. I, you have a handout, your last paper. Everybody has that last paper? This is really good for us. If you say, well, I just don't know. I just, I just need a good guideline. There are four guidelines for modest dress. Everybody has that? If you have trouble getting into it or out of it, it's probably not modest. <laughs> I'm a very practical teacher. If you have to be careful when you sit down or bend over, it's probably not modest. If people look at any part of your body before looking at your face, it's probably not modest. If you can see your most private body parts or an outline of these parts under the fabric, it's probably not modest. How's that for good guidelines? Amen? Let's stand to our feet. The inside is what matters most because without it, we're fake. But God has chosen the outside to show forth praise and separation unto him. If you don't want to commit to dressing and looking a certain way for God, that's your choice. And I respect you and you're welcome here. But please just don't tell me 
that God does not care about our exterior or the way that we present our bodies because you are wrong. Okay? Lord Jesus, thank you, Lord God, for your word, because ultimately every facet of your word governs every aspect of our lives. And so, God, I just pray. I know that there are probably people here or, and or listening online that maybe have been challenged a little bit. Maybe that some of the things that have been said kind of have gone against the way we've been living our lives, God. And so I just pray that you'd speak to us, Lord Jesus. Ultimately, I don't think you and I don't want them. I, don't want, I know you don't want them to feel, Lord Jesus, angry or frustrated or bitter, Lord, but that maybe there's something that you're trying to show them, Lord. Maybe there's something that you're saying, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm challenging you in this area of your life. And so, God, I just pray, help us, Lord Jesus, to be open to this, Lord, that, that ultimately we say, God, nothing is untouchable to you, Lord Jesus. Culture does not determine the way I live my life. And so, God, I just, I, I pray that there would be just no matter what, that we would all be people who are consecrated, set apart for you, for your glory, and that people would see you in us and in the choices we make and the way we live our lives. In the wonderful name of Jesus, I pray these things. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless.